Nahuatasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambatasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambatasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambatasa Badanaman Sankhang it really is possible to overcome the unwholesome. And we do it by substituting with the wholesome. You can't just say, I want out of the unwholesome. Unwholesome, go away. I don't like you, unwholesome. Go. Now, finish. Done. <laughs> work. <coughs> Maybe sometimes, but it, typically it just doesn't work. Um, we can substitute the one for the other. We have the wholesome as the support by which we can let go of the unwholesome. Mm, so the Buddha gave an example like um, if you need to get rid of a peg and um, you can uh, uh, tap the big peg with a, with a smaller peg, right? That's how you can get rid of it. <clears throat> so you can dislodge what is uh, unwholesome, not wanted, not good, with what is what is better. Sometimes we can reach all the way up to something really, truly profound and wonderful. Sometimes we need some intermediate steps. For example, reading a Stephen King novel would be better than killing someone. <laughs> Watching Oprah would be better than reading a Stephen King novel. Doing a good deed for an elderly disabled neighbor would be better than watching Oprah. So there's a hierarchy of, of these things. Now, <clears throat> we have some really great instruction about what is wholesome and what is unwholesome in um, the Samaditi uh, Sutta, uh, number 10 of the Middle Length Discourses, the words from Venerable Sariputta. Now, he was talking about right view, and he ended up giving, I think it's 16 different ways of having, holding right view. 16 different ways of um, understanding truth on a level that actually breaks through to the profound understanding of the first stage of enlightenment. <clears throat> but first, he talked about the, the right view of wholesome versus unwholesome, and even this is enough for, with profound understanding, uh, for attaining first stage of enlightenment. So the monks said to him, one of, he said to the monks, one of right view, one of right view, a sad friends, in what way is one of right view, whose view is straight, was perfect confidence in the Dhamma, and has arrived at this true Dhamma. And again, those are code words for, for at least first stage of enlightenment, maybe more. And the monks seem to be a little... Um, taken aback, a little surprised by his um, invitation, an offering of a, of a teaching, their responses to the effect of surely we would come from a long way to hear the meaning of this from the Venerable Sariputta. So, yes, <laughs> yes, please, to explain this to us. He says, then listen, friends, and I will, uh, and I will explain. Yes, friend. One of right view, one of right view, is said, friends, in what way is one of right view, whose view is straight, who has perfect confidence in the Dhamma and has arrived at this true Dhamma? Then he gives the first of these 
16. I won't go into the rest, but uh, when one understands the unwholesome and the root of the unwholesome, when one understands the wholesome and the root of the wholesome. So in that way, one is of right view, whose view is straight, who has perfect confidence in the Dhamma and has arrived at this true Dhamma. So that, in, that um, the wording there in the Pali is um, akusalang chapajanati. Akusalamulang chapajanati. Uh, and then kusalang chapajanati, kusalamulang chapajanati. So the word here that I'm using the translation of unwholesome and wholesome is actually kusala or akusala and kusala. Uh, so another equally, um, uh, perhaps equally uh, deserving translation would be uh, skillful or unskillful <coughs> and skillful. Uh, so don't don't hold too tightly to the to the translations. You know we, we're getting approximations here. <clears throat> and then molan, you might know mula as root. Um, I'm just stuck for a moment on the on the word mula. Um, I, my teacher, Bandiji, sometimes would give us poly explanations that you never could quite figure out if he was teasing us or not. So <laughs> this is one of them. He said, "Mola, like mola, it, the money is the root of all evil." <laughs> so I'm not sure if he was giving us just a way to remember that mola is root. Is it mola? <laughs> give me mola. <laughs> um, if uh, if he was uh, just giving us a mnemonic to remember it, if he was actually telling us how. <laughs> The, uh, this word had evolved. Okay, so what is the unwholesome? What is the wholesome? He goes on to explain. <clears throat> Killing living beings is unwholesome. Stealing is unwholesome. Misconduct and sensual pleasures, or some would say um, uh, sexual misconduct, or, or even somewhat translated adultery, <clears throat> is unwholesome. False speech is unwholesome. Malicious speech is unwholesome. Harsh speech is unwholesome. Covetousness is unwholesome. Ill will is unwholesome. Wrong view is unwholesome. That is the unwholesome. So the ten wrong courses of action are unwholesome. What is the root of the unwholesome? Greed is a root of the unwholesome. Hate is a root of the unwholesome. Delusion is a root of the unwholesome. So that's the unwholesome and the root of the unwholesome. Sometimes we get a little confused, you know, what exactly is unwholesome? Uh, when I'm first working with people, I make sure that we're clear on this akusala versus kusala. And I'll quiz them. Sometimes if I have a child in the audience, I'll, I'll bring the child up and question the child because... We know it in our bounds, what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. Uh, we, 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 we feel it, we know it, and getting a child to enunciate it makes it very clear. Just a few little gray areas are in there, such as um, uh, words like um, grief, sadness, melancholy. People are uncertain. Are those unwholesome? Well. Are the roots unwholesome? 
Those are all aversive states. So yeah, that would come out of an unwholesome root. So yeah, that would be that would belong uh, in the category. Um, and um, another one is uh, indifference. Is indifference wholesome or unwholesome? And that can stump people because it depends on how you're using the word. Uh, if you're meaning a shut down. Um, uh, dissociative quality it's extremely unwholesome if you're trying to say um, non, non-attachment then that would be on the wholesome side so what are the wholesome? abstaining from killing abstaining from stealing abstaining from sensual misconduct abstaining from false speech abstaining from harsh speech abstaining from malicious speech I left out useless speech so hard to keep that one clean, isn't it? <laughs> so hard. Wonder why I left that one out. Sampapalapa. Again, Bandiji teasing us on the Pali translations. He said, and what does Sampapalapa really mean? Blah, blah, blah. That <laughs> is the true meaning of Sampapalapa. He said, that's what it came from. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. All right, so Sampapalapa. Uh, often translated as gossip, but I'm not at all contented with that ex- explanation or that translation. I, I think blah, blah, blah gets down to it. That's, that's it. Uh, non-covetousness, non-ill will, and um, uh, right view. And what are the roots? Non-greed. Non-hate, clarity. So funny the way we word these things, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's not really inspiring to think of someone being, having non-ill will or non-covetousness. Oh, Venerable so-and-so is so inspirational. She's just so filled with non-ill will. <laughs> you don't say that. It doesn't, it doesn't resonate. Um, but the reason why it's actually technically more correct to put it that way is that a person could have a very neutral state that's quite good, quite wholesome. Um, and uh, so so the, the simple negation of the unwholesome state is actually more technically correct in, in many cases. So um, sometimes people, again, when they're going through list of mental states, trying to figure out what's wholesome and unwholesome. Um, Bliss is one that can get a little bit tricky for them, and joy too, because if if it's indicating some delight in something that's not actually so good, what would that mean? So again, go to the roots. Is it coming out of non-greed, non-hate, clarity? Then it's the beautiful state that we probably would intend with those words. I'm going to put a bookmark for the moment in that particular discourse and skip over to another discourse. And here I'm borrowing from um, uh, a talk Venerable Bodhi gave recently uh, to the Bhikkhunis. Um, he quoted the Buddha um, in, in regarding these passages. Monks? 
uh, give up the unwholesome. And what word am I saying here with the unwholesome? Give up a kusala. And I'm not sure if it would be more precise to say give up unwholesomeness, give up the unwholesome, give up what is unwholesome. I'm not quite sure what, what exact angle to put on that. Uh, and again, unskillfulness would be another stand-in translation, maybe others. So, um, monks give up the unwholesome. It is possible to give up the unwholesome. If it were not possible to give up the unwholesome, I would not say give up the unwholesome. But because it is possible to give up the unwholesome, therefore I say give up the unwholesome. If giving up the unwholesome were to your harm and detriment, I would not say give up the unwholesome. But because giving up the unwholesome is to your benefit and happiness, therefore I say give up the unwholesome. Monks cultivate the wholesome. It is possible to cultivate the wholesome. If it were not possible to cultivate the wholesome, I would not say cultivate the wholesome. But because it is possible to cultivate the wholesome, therefore I say cultivate the wholesome. This is oral tradition. By the time you've heard all of this, you're not going to forget this teaching. If cultivating the wholesome were to your harm and detriment, I would not say cultivate the wholesome. But because cultivating the wholesome is for your benefit and happiness, therefore I say cultivate the wholesome. There were others in the day of the Buddha who would claim that you can't. They would say that your karma is like a ball of yarn that has to unravel. It just goes. It doesn't matter what you do. Nothing you do has any efficacy. They would say, you were born under this or that constellation, or you were favored by this or that god. You know, it's it's fate. Or, or you can pray and, you know, get yourself changed or something like that. Or if you're really lucky, you can get zapped by, into some better state. So not every religious tradition of all time has always been wise to know that there's cause and effect and we can change our minds. I think we are kind of in a lucky state of the world at the moment in the sense that all the major religious traditions that I'm familiar with do um, uh, hold to that idea of cause and effect uh, and um, do hold to the idea that you do reap what you sow and, and so forth. And not all of them will hone it to such a refined teaching as your mind is a thing that can be cultivated, but they go in, at least in that direction. Not saying it's fate or a ball of string has to unravel and nothing you can do about it. <clears throat> or another, um, another point of view that was sometimes mentioned as uh, being popular in the day of the Buddha was um, uh, the idea that you, you take on certain outer um, rituals by which you purify yourself. Uh, again, that's um, it's not what we were taught by the Buddha. Uh, but so this is a one. This is wonderful news. You can, we can. Uh, there are some unfortunates who um, actually are in a state where they 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 can't. Can anyone tell me who cannot? 
succeed in this mental cultivation in this life? Who cannot? Who among human beings cannot? If, if somebody has killed their father or mother, isn't it? Bingo. Or, or a Buddha, or bl shed blood of a Buddha. Mm -hmm. Or, think, uh, or one more. An Kill an <clears throat> mm -hmm. Okay, so has anyone here shed the blood of a Buddha? Raise your hand. In this life. Has anyone here in this life Killed an arahant. Has anyone here in this life murdered their mother or their father? Raise your hand. Okay. So you're all good. <laughs> you still stand a chance. You haven't blown it yet. Don't go killing any arahants or parents. You know, just don't do it. <clears throat> just say no. Just don't do that. And you can cultivate this mind. This mind is a thing, just like uh, the irrig irrigators can... Um, take various devices and cause water to flow in particular directions that are uh, non-harmful and highly beneficial. In the same way, we can take this mind. You can't just boss it around. You can't just boss water around, right? Water's going to flow the way it's going to flow, and you work with that. You can't boss this mind around. It's going to flow the way it's going to flow, but you can work with it. You can guide it. You can set up structures new structures for your mind that will guide it into good ways. And thus we cultivate the wholesome bit by bit, step by step. <clears throat> so, you may have heard of sila, samadhi, panya. I was just going to assume everyone here knows it, but then this is being taped. Maybe not everyone on the tape would know Stila Samadhi Banya. So just in case there's some poor, poor listener out there who doesn't know of Stila Samadhi Banya, uh, I'll give the explanation. Virtue, Stila. Samadhi is usually translated concentration. I have come to follow Ajahn Brahm's um, perspective, his, his assertion that it's not such a great translation. He goes with stillness. I like that. I like that word much more than concentration. When I was a teenager, I, I heard about mental power, and I put a quarter in front of me, and I concentrated as hard as I could, trying to make the quarter move. It didn't. So obviously concentration doesn't work. <laughs> or at least that was my viewpoint as a teenager. Um, when I think of concentration, I think of that pressing in of the mind and trying to force something. It doesn't work very well. Stillness, however, is what happens when you stop shaking something. Uh, teaching uh, little children at my place recently, uh, a fellow who, um, his, whose livelihood is being a kindergarten teacher, taught meditation to the little, little children, the, the um, uh, four to seven-year-old crowd recently. And he brought uh, a container clear container of water with glitter in it and shook it and the glitter was all up and he set it down he said look what happens when you let it settle and it settled to the bottom and then he connected that with the idea of the breathing watching the breath 
And he had them watch their breath while it settled down. He said, see? See what your mind does? It settles down. Stillness. Just when it stills, it settles down. Sila, samadhi, stillness, and panya, wisdom. Um, this is a, uh, a short way of describing the Buddha's Eightfold Path. The sila part being steps uh, three through five of right speech, right action, right livelihood. The stillness, or samadhi, being effort, uh, number six, seven, uh, mindfulness, and eight, samadhi, per se. Or the, so that's the, the samadhi part of the path, six, seven, eight. And panya being numbers one and two of the Eightfold Path, right? Understanding and right uh, sankapo, intention or, or thought. So um, the sila part of the path overcomes the most gross defilements. The samadhi part of the path overcomes the hindrances. The panya part of the path overcomes the underlying tendencies. So Sila, Samadhi, Panya each have their role in overcoming the unwholesome. So again, the, the virtue overcomes the most gross defilements, the really, truly heavy, heavy stuff. The, um, let me just pause there about the heavy, heavy stuff. So um, teaching chill teenagers recently, uh, at a Burmese tea temple, uh, I um, uh, explained it to them uh, thus that um, uh, if you had um, if you had a, a, an anvil and you dropped it, which way would it go? They all say down. If you had a helium balloon fill, filled with helium and you let it go, which way does it go? You remember me? Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then I said to them, anger, is it heavy or light? Light and bright. They say heavy. Cruelty, heavy. Impatience, heavy. Lying, heavy. Stealing, heavy. Um, joy, is it light or heavy? Light. Um... Kindness, compassion, loving kindness, these are, these are very light, beautiful states. Uh, so, um, the, the really heavy, gross defilements are what we overcome when we um, give up uh, the, um, the really gross, heavy <laughs> misdeeds of, of body. Mm. Now, what is it about body action that can make things so heavy? Why is it so... It's all about mind. What does, what does it matter what the body does? Rhetorical question here. Not really rhetorical. I mean, um, kind of trick question. <laughs> what do you think? They're connected. They are connected. 
Are they always connected? Are they always connected? So let's say you roll over on a mouse and it dies. Well, intention. Ah, there you go. As opposed to seeing a mouse and say, "Die, vermin!" You know, killing it. Um, these are very different. These are very different things. Not every religious group of all time has known this. You know, some have held a kind of a strict liability idea on on action. You do it, you you pay for it karmically. But in Buddhism, we're very clear about that. The mind has to be involved. So the reason why the um, the actions of the body with intention, are so significant is that the mind intensified thinking so much that you finally break out into action. So it's not just a flitting thought. It's a very intense, very, very intensified thought leading to, leading to the action. Um, so so sila virtue overcomes these gross defilements, um, the gross unwholesomeness. And um, samadhi, uh, stillness, overcomes the five hindrances, which is another Dhamma talk, (laughs) the five hindrances. And I want to just linger a moment on what is it that's overcome with panya. Underlying tendencies. Going back to right view, Venerable Sariputta explained these these various ways of having right view. And with each one he concluded, after saying, when one thus understands the unwholesome and the root of the unwholesome, the wholesome and the root of the wholesome, um, he, um, when a noble disciple has thus understood these, he entirely abandons the underlying tendency to lust. He abolishes the underlying tendency to aversion. He extirpates the underlying tendency to the view and conceit I am, and abandoning ignorance and arousing the true knowledge, he here and now makes an end of suffering. In that way, too, a noble disciple is one of right view, whose view is straight, who has, ah, he went and changed the translation here, unwavering, it's the current translation, memorized, perfect, who has perfect or unwavering confidence in the Dhamma and has arrived at this true Dhamma. So this this is a way of looking at these underlying tendencies. Underlying tendency to lust. Underlying tendency to aversion. Now, this is very interesting to me. Abandoning the underlying tendency to lust. Normally, the movement with lust is grabbing on. It's reaching out one's hands and pulling towards oneself. We abandon that. So abandoning is that opposite movement of letting go. And to um, abolish the underlying tendency, uh, I'm sorry, to, okay, that was abandon the underlying tendency to lust, abolish the underlying tendency to aversion. Aversion, you're t- you want to run away. To abolish, you go after it and get it, right? So instead of running away like you want to, you go after it and, and get it. And then extirpating, when I first came across this, uh, the Venerable Bodhi's translation um, of uh, middle-length discourse uh, of uh, Majjhima extirpate, I had to get a dictionary. And so that's like digging in and yanking up. It's really, it, it extirpate, 
I guess there's just no other word to use for it, to really dig in there and pull out. So this is not a, a very passive process. Extirpates the underlying tendency to the view and conceit I am. So um, this is how our Eightfold Path leads us towards enlightenment, overcoming the gross defilements, overcoming the hindrances that would hinder us from, from progress, and overcoming these underlying tendencies, after which one can abandon ignorance and arouse true knowledge, and thereby here and now make an end of suffering. So, my dear friends, you can do it. <laughs> if you couldn't do it, the Buddha wouldn't say do it. <laughs> if it were to your harm and suffering, he wouldn't say do it. But it's to your benefit and happiness. So wherever you see the opportunity to overcome the unwholesome, replace it with the wholesome, let's all feel encouraged to do so. Sadhu. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.